TNTM The Show presents New Mexico Comic Expo Panel, X-Men The Animated Series Writers. The big one, Kitty Pride. Uh, there had been issues because of Pride of the X-Men. They wanted to use um, different characters, and this was going to be a big change, but... Right, right. Yeah, and, and, we, and we, the one major creative decision that, 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 made, that made the stories a little bit different was in the books, the spirit of future Kitty Pride, of older Kitty Pride, go, goes back in time and inhabits her younger body and has the adventure and then goes back to the future. We wanted an actual, we just, we weren't sure it would work in animation and so we wanted an actual time traveler and so that's why we added Bishop. And it, it, it opened it up a little for us because it allowed him to know who the X-Men were because they were legends from 30, 40 years ago and also suspect them all because somebody among them is an assassin and with Kitty's spirit going back it worked it worked beautifully in the books but having having this actual physical time traveler worked better for us and that was that was a major change for us and it just gives you an idea we agonized over making sure that this was right and that was I think another difference between us and some of the previous sometimes you know Hollywood people get the rights to do something, they don't care about it. You know, right. like I, I, I was once at Hanna-Barbera writing for Popeye and Son, and the, of all things, the network said, oh, well, no, Popeye and Bluto can't fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, why are you doing the show? <laughs> oh, well, it's name recognition, kids will turn in because it's got the word Popeye in it, and that's all they cared about. So that's, that's what you have to work against sometimes when you, know, you got the job out there. But also, we just I want to express a certain amount of pride that X-Men, the animated series, kind of was a bridge there. And the fact that the feature films chose also to adapt that great story yeah. uh, was a testament, I think, to it. And again, using a lot of our characters. The, um, another thing that was different for us is we were all adults in our 30s. And so much of the work. <laughs> Thank you, there. Uh, and so often, and they contest so often times, we would have to write down, and our executives would say, "You're writing for Saturday morning. Kids aren't going to get all the sophisticated stuff. Dumb it down, dumb it down, dumb it down." Luckily, those executives Fox said, "No, man. Just write for yourselves and push this stuff." And these are all adults, and these are adults that are 25 to 35. Hell, Wolverine was 95. Yeah. Right. Uh, they aren't going to run around like they're 15 year olds. They're going to have adult feelings and adult stories and adult emotions. So we made sure to focus on that. There's a real limit in kids programming to the amount of actual violence or sex or whatever you can have, and that's reasonable. Uh, so we instead made it as emotionally intense and dramatic as we could. And that involved a lot of relationships, lots of old Wolverine girlfriends coming back upset. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the thing with Scott and Gene and Logan was, was a big centerpiece for us. And we just tried to think of them not as kind of gladiators or you know, WWE people that are going to fight the next supervillain you know, the next week. We tried to think of them as eight or nine very different people thrown together in a family and that they would have really, you know, human adult interaction. And then, <laughs> then, then the family got hold of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as you can see, there's a lot of uh, 
little hidden nuggets throughout yeah. the series that you might have seen tossed here and there. Um, and my, what happened with me is that I tried to, well, backing up a little bit. When I was reading books in the 60s, I'm an old guy, um, <laughs> Stanley, Marvel Comics had, their distribution was actually being controlled by DC Comics at the time. And they limited their books to about, I think, 10 titles. And so Stanley was trying to uh, promote other books. And so you have an issue of Spider-Man, and then you see Thor go by. And then at the bottom, he said, if you want to see where Thor's going, buy issue Tales of Suspense number something, something. So he started cross-promoting the books to try to increase sales. But for a young kid like me, I'm going, oh my god, Thor's in the same book as Spider-Man, blah, blah, that kind of stuff. Well, fast forward, when I became in charge of the show, I remembered what it's like to be that age and having the thrill of seeing, you know, another character in a series. And so my thing was I wanted to put, to add that type of excitement to the show. So the first time I tried to put Spider-Man in, into the show, and they said, no, I'm going, but it's on the same station. They never give me a real answer, so fine. <laughs> I let it go, and then there was an episode these guys wrote called Slave Island, I think it was called, where they had these, you know, had all the mutants with collars with their power, turn off their powers and stuff. And the writers wrote Mutant 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I went, okay, I went home, brought in my X-Men collection, put it on a Xerox machine, because this didn't exist. <laughs> and I said, okay, make this blob, make this mystique, make this sunfire, make this north star. But, I, kept them the, I just kept them the same names. They were still mutants one, two, three, four, five. And it went into the system, and I heard nothing. <laughs> okay, I know how to work the system now. So whenever I got a chance to put in a cameo, I never called them by their real names. So, you know, Dr. Strange was, I can't read it over here, but he was probably mutant, a mutant magician or something. Uh, Thor was like a Norse. Norseman on a, on a building. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so that's how I was able to include a lot of the, these little nuggets into the series. But my criteria for doing it was that um, I'd only put it in if it didn't interfere with the original story that, they, that was in front of me. So that if you were not familiar with the X-Men and you saw it, it'd be just like a, you know, like a, a sofa or something on the side. It would not mean anything to you if you didn't know the X-Men mythology. But if you did, you saw it, you knew it meant something. You'd see, oh, there's a war machine, or there's a sunfire. It, you know, it would pop out and make some more, make you get kind of, it's kind of hard to describe the, uh, to an executive, what's cool, what makes you get excited about a show, you know? <laughs> and so I, 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 I could not explain that to anybody. I just had to do it. And from that point forward, I just, I just decided not to ask permission. I just went ahead and did, did it, and figured they want to fire me. Fine, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to put it in the show because I know it's going to make the show work and work well. And you'll notice too that lawyers have zero imagination. <laughs> the storyboards were all submitted uh, pencil, black and white, right? Yeah, nothing was in color. Nothing was in color. Yeah, and the first time I, you know, the first mistake I made was that I, I drew Spider Man and called him Spider Man. Yeah. And that's when the legal department went. Ah! Out. Never again. But Never again. No. Also, I think you were seeing on the on the page that uh, it was the first appearance of Deadpool. Oh yeah, that's right. I had a, outside of the comics. Outside of the comics, so the first appearance of Deadpool, the first appearance of uh, the Black Panther. Uh, so I got a lot of chance to, to do a lot, add a lot of Marvel you know, uh, characters. I think I did a. I don't think people caught. I did a. Um, 
Ghost Rider was in one of the uh, flashback sequences, and uh, there's a Doctor Strange when he's not in uniform was in one. Well, that's right, he's at the wedding. He's at the wedding. And he's yeah. also in the hospital running yeah. out of court or panicked at one point. <laughs> I just kind of tossed him in, you know, here and there, see if anybody can find it. <laughs> and then finally, as we look at the end of the series, which was obviously too soon for all of us, um, we, we were reminded, it just, it really felt like a family event. I mean, they're looking to, as uh, a, a sick and failing Charles Xavier is being carried off by Lalandra to space, never to be seen again. It's kind of, this is kind of a, a uh, funeral moment for them. They're, they've all had a chance to say goodbye to, in effect, their father. And we really uh, felt it that way. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and then you know, there's a, there shows you the, the, the storyboard that I think Dan Bissinger did. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, how, how, how nicely, how nicely it was designed here before it was animated overseas. Yeah, Larry got some wonderful artists. Yeah. Anyway, if you want to know more <laughs> about, uh, you know, you've heard like eleven anecdotes. There's 450 pages worth of them in here. We interviewed all the you know, cast, crew, artists, writers, executives, and there's lots of storyboard images in it. Um, and we have it down at our table. Larry and I are sitting at the you're Jason the Mama, man. <laughs> and uh, we've got it uh, for sale here for the next two days. And uh, I think that's it for this. this. But just want to uh, yeah. hear on this, this piece of art from Neil Adams, which yes. was uh, a, a piece that was drawn up early when uh, Margaret Lesh Fox Kids were going to do we, the X-Men. We had just right. sold it. And, and we were still trying to figure, we hadn't written the stories yet, figure out who the core team was. So if you look at that, you might notice that there are some folks who aren't in that image just yet. Like Beast and Jean. Or Gambit. Because yeah. they, they didn't think, they didn't know. They didn't know who was going to be on the team or who would need to be on the team. Yeah, we, yeah, we argued, Larry, go ahead. Okay. I said, we argued, we, everybody had a, a, the extra, the 20, 30 people we could have used for, over the years that have been on the X-Men. And the, we, the writers, just wanted to be as distinct and different as possible. You don't want... Cable and and Beast and Wolverine and and Colossus and Thunderbird, all these massive guys growling at each other. <laughs> you want this as varied a group of people as you could. And so, as we wrote the first season, we kept on figuring out. Well, we really need Gene in this scene, and we really need Beast in this scene. And by the time we'd written thirteen, Gene and Beast had forced themselves on us. They just, they, they asserted themselves and that was, that's their, Gambit was kind of chosen by, uh, uh, by Marvel, but those other two were not, we, we weren't told we had to use them at all. And that's why Beast was in prison the first uh, couple uh, episodes, because we thought we wouldn't see him again. It's civil disobedience. Yeah, right. <laughs> but speaking as a writer here, uh, people will ask, well, who, who do you love a lot? Well, we writers always like to think we're the smartest person in the room, or the cleverest, or any of that. And each of us sort of began the, the fun challenge that, that Eric, you kind of set up, of uh, trying to outquote each other. Right. You know, trying to find the most <laughs> obscure but appropriate quote for Beast to, to have when, when, the, when the moment came up. And, and that turned out to be a lot of fun. That, too. Was, a, that was just random. It was, a, it was the first episode, it's is not at Sentinels, and they're bursting into this thing and place. And instead of saying Kalabanga or something, so, some call to action, 
reason the whole beast is, is so erudite, you'd probably quote an obscure poet. Now, let's have some fun. Let's, let's make fun of that. So we did it once, and everybody liked it. So it became a challenge to the writers to find something <laughs> even more obscure for him to, to pick from. Well, I don't know if you guys would like to do this. We have a quick run through here. We wanted to give you, show you what the cast looks like. And by the way, most of them are here, which is just right. astonishing. Five, five cast members are here. Yeah. Yeah. First time ever and that first time ever. At five o'clock, they're going to have their own panel here uh, well, with their own host, and they'll tell you what it's like to, to be doing voices for the show. But we wanted to oh. show you the pictures of them. Quick before you jump into that, just so you understand, when we were doing the show, we were in Los Angeles, in the various right. areas of Los Angeles, you know, frantically writing or frantically arting. <laughs> and it turned yeah. out, um, again, m money being uh, a real issue, uh, the, the voice talent uh, was not local. The voice talent uh, was in Canada. Yeah. And quite the, the reason was they, they could uh, be a little less money on, on the art talent, on the art voice talent in Canada. But that also meant that we, we, we never met them. We had never met we them. We wrote them 20,000 lines of dialogue, and we'd get it on audio cassettes, and I only got to know all, we only got to know all of them when I was writing the book two years ago. First chance to meet. So, so uh, otherwise, I mean, Larry was up there a couple times, but it's, yeah. it's, they were always tight with money. <laughs> we're not round trip trip trips to Toronto. No, that's uh, Saban's reputation. Yeah. So, in any, so in any case, I'm going to show you about a dozen of the cast so you can have an idea what the folks look like, the, the Boyster characters. And we're going to have a, a clap off. This is fun. We don't have the actors in the room. Yeah, they're here, not so, in here, so it's okay. So, so, if you like, yeah, so clap for your, for your favorites and don't clap for the ones you don't like. Just, just as a start, here's an introduction. The first copy of this book went to the biggest X-Men geek on the planet, and that is the Prime Minister of Canada. And that's him receiving it from Wolverine, from Caldod. And uh, Jim Lee was behind the camera when this was going on. And so just that's that's one of our favorite pictures ever. We have the we, we have reason to believe he has named his first child Xavier because of X-Men. Yeah. Unconfirmed, but yeah. hey, come on. That's okay. So anyway, we'll we'll get started. This Cyclops is Norm Spencer, so clap for that. And you'll notice a lot of these guys look a lot like their characters, which is strange, but true. Catherine Disher was Jean Grey. Allison Seeley Smith was Storm. And she is actually from Barbados, where she lives now. George Busa, who is here. And he's big. He plays bikers in movies, so yeah, he's, he's, he fits. Tony Daniels, who is a He's here as well, Tony's here. Allison Porter played Jubilee. Ron Rubin played more. Traumatized more. Cedric Smith played Jennifer Dale, who's actually redheaded, played Mystique. <laughs> Chris Britton, who's also here today, plays Mr. Sinister. Yeah! Yeah. Philip Aiken played Bishop. Yeah. Lawrence Bain played Cable. And yes, he is that intimidating person. Yeah. Yeah. Adrian Huff played Nightcrawler. Lenore Zahn played Rogue. Yeah. 
Believe it or not, that's her at work. She is a state senator. She is the representative for Nova Scotia in their legislature. Wow. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, you, if she wants a bill passed, you better pass it or she'll throw you across the room. <laughs> and Kel My unofficial tally is that Wolverine and Mr. Sinister time. And yeah. Nightcrawler, I heard Nightcrawler, okay. Nightcrawler, yes. Three-way. Yeah, three-way, okay, cool, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the little anecdote I was going to tell you about was uh, when the Beast would come down to do his voice, you know, he's, he would come in his, in his Harley, and he's, he would come in this intimidating, you know, biker stuff, and he'd get it, he would come in to do his lines, and you hear this, he's looking at this big guy, get behind a, a little microphone and talk Shakespeare. Oh. <laughs> it was like so unreal, but... These didn't exist, I couldn't record anything. <laughs> well, that was the thing, uh, and they may go into more detail tonight on their panel, but uh, when the, the scripts were sent up to try and start casting the voices, X-Men was kind of a different breed of, of children's TV animation. And right. so most of the folks who did voices for kids' shows were not necessarily uh, turning on to what this thing was. And the first round of voice mm. casting that came back it was awful. Oh, it was not good. It was like, like Scooby-Doo X-Men. Yeah. They didn't know. They didn't. Yeah, and we tried to tell them, but they'd done 20 years of voices for Hollywood cartoons before, and then thought they knew what we want. They wanted. So we had to send Larry and a couple of the people up, spend a couple of weeks, and said, no, 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 and get some new people. Some of these were newer, the second round people, the out of their theater world, out Toronto. of their serious theater world, right. to give the voices the dramatic gravitas that they needed for them to be real yeah. characters. Yeah. Toronto is a serious theater scene, and um, they got to pull from that pool, which had not been tapped before for a show like this. Yeah. So I think we're ready. If someone can help, uh, we can we can take questions. If yeah. you have questions, not, we'll just keep babbling here. Yeah. <laughs> there's, 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 a, there's a microphone here, and it's yeah. supposedly on. Is it on? Yeah. 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 All right, so you guys kind of hinted at this when you were talking a little while ago about uh, directing the show, not talking down to the audience as kids. Right. And you hinted at that in like the relationships between the characters and whatnot, but even more so, not just relationships, but with actual story structures, the way the episodes and the story arcs were structured. In my particular, I'm, I'm a huge fan of time travel stories. Love it. And X-Men, of course, is comics and your show are littered with time travel stories. So, I mean, you got Days of Future Past in season one, you got Time Fugitive season two, and I, I don't know if there was in season three, but then you had uh, One Man's Word, yeah. uh, and then of course Beyond Good and Evil. Yeah. And amazing way you structured, I, I can't even comprehend, pieced all of those together. Because if you watch just those time travel episodes, they kind of follow a sequence in their own story arc, just them. Yeah. Right. And, how was that in the writer's room to kind of piece all those intricate pieces together through different time periods and characters and whatnot? It's a, it's a headache. Because yeah, uh, every, I mean, time travel almost always makes you think, well, but if this happened, then this couldn't happen. Well, maybe it could, or maybe, and you go back and forth and back and forth, and you think you've got it all this little intricate thing ready, and then maybe one of the artists says, well, but that doesn't fit with the thing you did six beats ago. Right. Oh, you're right. <laughs> it was. They were. They were a real challenge. They were. They're. They're a headache, logically. Right. But 
it's so it was so satisfying to do some of those and just to show people just to show the histories of people. Like within the movies, The Last Stand was one I appreciate a lot because it had the older and younger people, uh, versions of them in it. And to see the development of folks, like One of the Man's Wars is my favorite episode. And it, uh, it showed a young Xavier who didn't quite know yet what his life was gonna be and that he was gonna be leading the X-Men and what that, that would mean to the world. And someone went back in time and killed him and how that turned the entire planet upside down, one guy. And see, knowing the characters now and getting to know them in the past, it just, it's just fun. It's, 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 yeah. For me, especially yeah. on One Man's Worth, just because, what was that, season three or four? <clears throat> season four. Season four. four. Yeah. So you're going along, you're going along, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly in that episode, we see in an alternate horrible universe, that Storm and Wolverine have found each other and are profoundly in love. And that's the only time you see Wolverine with a wedding ring yeah, or true. Storm with a wedding ring. They're married to each other. It's like, crap, that's perfect. Of course they're supposed to be together. I mean, that's who those people are. They should have been yeah. together in our world. And it just broke my heart. But that was one of those moments that I didn't even see coming until, you know, piecing that story together. Yeah, yeah it's, you know, it's a interracial relationship and they went back in time and had to deal with racial stuff yeah, like at sure. the same time, right. which was like, you know, luckily these guys, they didn't back away from that that reality. It made, made, made it more interesting, you know, made it more tangible. Yeah, and uh, going back to your comment about placing the Easter egg characters in. Right. I'm thinking back on it, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but in Beyond Good and Evil, the little trickster character that was with Bishop. Yeah. Yes. At the very end, didn't he turn into a mortis? Yes. Yes, he did. When you were thinking that, I was like, yeah, remember that, yeah. yeah he and did like, that. And that blew my mind. I was like, who was that? When I was like, because I didn't know it was at the time when I was a kid. Right. But then, you know, reading comics later on, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. I, mean, I was like, I went back and watched the episode. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. King the Conqueror, Mortis. Yeah, yeah. yeah we. Yeah. we if you, yeah, if you know the books and you yeah. pick up on that stuff, but if you're just a regular viewer, it's just like, oh, okay, just another super yeah. cat. Yeah. Very but cool. uh, for me also, just so you know, the, the time fugitives episode was really daunting because even though it was written by two writers, but I had two different art teams. And so when part two came back, nothing in part two matched part one. Oh my God. In terms of the fights and yeah. stuff. And so I had to re-storyboard at uh, show two to match show one, so that suddenly my rogue suddenly in the fight, she wasn't in the fight in part one, so I had to re redirect that entire sequence. And you you watch it, it goes on for like a almost a minute and a half. There's no dialogue because I had to redraw everything. You know, but it was wow. a lot of it was challenging, but it was fun. The end result came out to be very good. Yeah, awesome way to parallel those two stories, like go back and see the same yeah. story but from a different perspective. And I had I think at the end of part one I had you know, I added the part of um, Apocalypse growing big out of the out of out of the building, mm -hmm. and he kills the X Men. Yeah, he just wasn't in the script. Just belts him. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't. It was like I had to sneak this by the pin sensors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he kills him, but it it it, it ups the stake for part two. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So that we get prevented. Yeah. 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 I mean, Endgame has been heralded as treating time travel, uh, Avengers Endgame, in a in a really intelligent way and whatnot, but you guys were doing it years before on X-Men, the animated series, and I just wanted to give you guys props for that. Well, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
on the space picture pass, and Larry, you mentioned your fandom from when you were younger. How intimidating was it to work on X-Men? It was never, it was not intimidating, it was exciting. I, mean, I've been, I had been trying to put the X-Men on the air since I got, since 1980, about for 12 years. When I was working as a storyboard artist on Spider-Man and Amazing Fringe, you'll see that there's snippets of X-Men that I, I, I told them, I want to storyboard those. I took over those and I made sure to, to do the X-Men because I was trying to seed interest into the show from way back in the 80s. And, uh, you know, and Margaret saw that, so that's when myself and Will, we all got involved and did the, did the pride of the X-Men. So for me, no, it's exciting. It wasn't intimidating. It's like, yes, I'm going to do it. You know, and do it right. Well, it was really my very fond memories. And thank you very much. Sure. Speaking of pride of the X Men, I just want to point out when you have the right people in charge and the wrong people in charge, uh, it was you and yeah. Lou Minio and Rick Hover, Rick Hover, Rick Hover, yeah, the three of us, Margaret Lesh, mm -hmm. trying to make this thing happen. Yeah. And then what happened to Wolverine? Oh, no. <laughs> For those of you who remember that particular episode, because it does air. I mean, it is available <sighs> right at the X-Men. I will let this down forever. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't you, it was it the wasn't us. in like charge. Marvel, yeah, they got the money to do a pilot for Pride of the X-Men. Yeah. And at the time, uh, the people who had, were in charge of the money said, um, Crocodile Dundee was a hit show at that time. And they said, hey, wouldn't it be good to make Wolverine like an Australian guy? And I was like, it's like, oh, okay. He's in charge of the money. We had to do it, but we knew if, if it ever picked up, I'll straight that was gonna go. But that's where that came from. It's like, what? The, yeah, what that what that taught me at the time though was that you know, compromise. You know, there's certain there are limits to compromises, and luckily when we got to do the X Men, in his book you'll read there's a lot of fights in there. When they wanted us to compromise and, and turn it into super friends of Scooby Doo, and we had to fight for it. And we had to literally threaten them to quit if they forced us to do certain things. Yeah. And so, yeah. Pride of the X Men taught me that you got to stand up for what's right. Yes. Yeah, a quick question is um, if the show would have con continued on, uh -huh. is there particular stories that you wanted to tell that you haven't told yet? Well, I think, yeah, people ask us that a lot. We hadn't really. We were pretty much all locked to other work, you know, and so we get used to that. Larry's worked on almost 80 different shows. We each worked on 40 something, so we're, we're, we're young kids. But you get used to it in the job where you work on something for three or four months or even three or four weeks, and then you're moved over and, oh, we need a couple scripts over here. And so you just say, okay, that was good. That was my opportunity. I did what I could. So really after, Five years, we played out most of the stories that we'd, ima that we'd imagined we might do. There was one that we could tell you about that that the people inside the creative group talked us all out of, and that was as we we're starting the second season. Mark Edens and I uh, each had wonderful wives who just had a couple of little babies, and so we thought, well, let's you know, Gene and and uh, Scott are getting married. Let's start the second season. Gene's got a seven-month pregnant baby bump, and she's out in spandex kicking ass. And she has a has a, has a double mutant baby in episode three. And we got all from every, every phone call, every every fax received was a wait a minute, guys, come on, you know our focus group is primarily teen boys. I don't know if it's a seven-month 
baby bump is going to go over terribly well with our audience. So that was one story which we, on the writing staff, had to pull back from. But um, you mentioned um, just that first season and the idea of the different characters, though we haven't really spoken about Morph. And just because I realized that we're going to need to- We're down to about two minutes, so we just want to tell you the, the truth about Morph. <laughs> <laughs> so some of you may, uh, if you're a fan of the books, like Larry was, the, uh, the character Changeling. Yeah, yeah uh, the, the original Marvel books had a character called Thunderbird. Who was a who was a Native American superhero? In in the books, he gets killed in the first couple of issues of X Men, and, and us trying to replicate that same story, we thought twice about killing the first Native American character in the first episode. <laughs> so going back into history, there was another character called Changeling that got killed, replacing Professor X. So we wanted to use Changeling, but we couldn't use the name Changeling because that's a Teen Titans character. So then they, the lawyer, even though we argued that Marvel did it first, the lawyer said, we don't want the fight, find another name. And so that's where Morph came from. So artistically, he looks just like Changeling, but we call him Morph. Right, and just so you know, he was supposed to stay dead. Yes. <laughs> we fought for yes. three weeks to be allowed to kill one of the X-Men as part of our kids show. And then what happened, we, they have, after the show premieres, and they're five or six episodes in, uh, to, to the first season, they do a focus group of some kids and ask, who's your favorite character? And Morph won by a landslide. Yes. And so we got the phone call from Sydney, who's wonderful usually from our the network, said, is there, I know you needed to kill him, it was very important to you, but can we please find a way to put him back in? So yeah. he was supposed to stay dead. He was supposed to stay dead, dead, dead. But it wasn't like one of these Marvel, he's dead, no, he's alive, no, he was supposed to remain dead all the time. And, and all props to, we, we talked about Margaret Lesh as president of Fox Kids, but we need to mention a woman named Avery Coburn, yes. who oh, had yes. the thankless task of being the broadcast standards and practices censor <laughs> yeah. person, censor person in charge, and uh, the decision early on to, we need to show the stakes are real. We need to show that this is not just you know, yeah. who are they fighting this week. It, that it mattered. We, our show wouldn't have happened without her. She had a, she loved story and she actually loved the X Men comics. Yeah. So we had a, an ally in the censor's office. Yeah. yeah. She trusted us. And she trusted them a lot, so that you know they knew. She trusted them so that the stories that they were trying to portray weren't going to get you know cross a boundary line. We were getting right up to the edge of it. <laughs> And she the, let us do it. In the first episode, or the second episode, when he's coming down off the, the, the jetway and, and Wolverine punches Cyclops right in the gut and says, next time I use the claws, yes. that is the one time you'll see contact between the human mutant Boom. characters with a fist punch. We didn't get to punch people, that was not. Imitatable behavior, can't do it, can't do it. Right. But God bless the sentinels, you could tear the crap out of them. Yes. <laughs> anyway, the three of us are down. Uh, uh, Larry has wonderful art design art, all original art from the show. And we've got this book, we've got hats. Oh, we've got another writer here in the audience, Stephanie Matheson, who wrote Beauty and the Beast, and others will be with us as well. Yeah, so 5 o'clock today, the cast will be here. 11 a.m. tomorrow, we'll be up here showing the, the episode Beauty and the Beast and have the writer of the episode and 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 uh, the actor for Beast and the actor for Wolverine up with us. First time ever. About. First time ever in the same room. That's been a good Tomorrow morning at 11. Thank you all so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And thank you to Mexico Comic Expo. And now to you. This has been wonderful.
Ready to Me Network. Thank you for listening.